the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And I'm on. This is Dr. Phil, your radio MD. Welcome to the show. We are on live radio, and we're also streaming live on Facebook and I think some other media, but I don't really know because I haven't quite figured it out yet. I've gotten to Facebook, and that seems to be working fine, or at least it was. But let me see if I can. They're having trouble playing my video. Oh, my God. Technical issues today, Doc? Technical issues. Uh, maybe uh, they won't get my video here. Wait a minute. They might pick it up. At any rate, so we played a little money. and Oh, yeah, there we go. Now we're streaming live. If you're just joining us on Facebook, I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. And we played a little bit of money, money. That's what I want because I'm going to talk about money later in the show. I'm going to talk about what's driving the stock market and uh, why the economy, in spite of all of the the uh, negativity coming from the left is actually growing and doing well. It's uh, it, it's a little bit shocking when you hear the the data that I'm going to share with you. But first, I want to talk about uh, some heart-related issues. And for those of you on Facebook and other social media, you'll see the beating heart behind me there. And uh, that's actually what the heart looks like when you open the chest up and peel off all the outer layers. That's exactly what it looks like. So at any rate, my next door neighbor, Barb, she's a sweetheart. We love her to death. A um, little bit on the left side, but that's okay. We still love her. Uh, she came in to see me because she was having extra heartbeats. Now, extra heartbeats can be serious. They can be life-threatening. They can be a nuisance. Hers are basically a nuisance. They're what we call ventricular premature contractions. Now, the heart's made up of four chambers, four basic rooms. And you have to think of the heart like you would think of a, a four-roomed house with uh, two rooms on each side adjoining each other. And there's a door in and a door out for each of the chambers. Now, these doors are one way. And these doors open when there's a pressure difference between the two rooms. So let's say you're in your bedroom and you want to go out into the hallway and you try to open the door and uh, there's uh, a, an eight-year-old child there leaning up against your door that weighs 40 pounds, well, you're going to have to exert 40 pounds of pressure to move that child out of the way and get the door open. Now, if there's no child there, there's nothing there, then then the door will only have to overcome the friction of the hinges and the uh, pressure of the air. Now, let's say that instead of you opening the door, the room is sealed tight, except for that one door out, and the walls start to move in and compress the air. Now, when they reach 40 pounds of pressure, they'll push that kid out of the way, and the doors will open. That's how heart valves work. So the heart is made up of walls. The, the walls are dynamic. They're made up of little muscle cells that expand and contract. 
when there's an electrical stimulus and there's enough food and oxygen for them to work. And then the doors open when there's a pressure gradient between the, the chambers, between the hallway and the, and the uh, bedroom or the bedroom and the bathroom or whatever you want to call it. Well, what makes all this happen? What, what stimulates this contraction and relaxation of the heart? Well, there's an electrical wiring system in the heart and it is uh, a conducting system and it, they are specialized heart cells and their job in life is to carry an electrical impulse from the top of the heart down to the bottom of the heart and get everybody beating and squeezing in synchrony. And so what happens when you have extra heartbeats? Well, you can have a part of the heart or a small area of the heart where there's uh, automaticity, that is where the electrical activity of that particular little area is faster uh, than the pacemaker of the heart, which is at the top of the heart, which is the uh, dedicated cells that get the heart going. And what can cause that? Well, there can be uh, tissue death from a heart attack. There can be inflammation from an infection or from an autoimmune disease like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. There can be stretch of the heart or thickening of the heart, like in high blood pressure. So there's a number of things that can cause irritability in the bottom of the heart, and we can get these extra beats called ventricular premature complexes. <clears throat> now, in the 80s, 70s and 80s, we thought that uh, people who had had a heart attack, Ken, if they had these extra heartbeats, that they were at increased risk for dying from uh, malignant or serious heart rhythm disturbances. And so we started treating these people with medications to suppress these heartbeats. Well, a big study came out uh, in the 80s called the CAST study, C-A-S-T, the Cardiac Arrhythmia Suppression Trial. And it actually showed that we were doing more harm than good, that more people were dying when we put them on these anti-arrhythmic or rhythm suppression drugs than we're actually living. So the mantra has been for the past 30 or 40 years that we are very cautious about how and when we treat extra heartbeats at the bottom of the heart. And that's different from the top of the heart. We've talked about atrial fibrillation in the past. These are ventricular beats. And uh, the, the, the mantra now is that we be very careful. Well, if you have a heartbeat that is coming from one spot in the heart, we call that unifocal, one spot, one site, and they're not coupled together. They're just single heartbeats, so that you have two or three normal heartbeats, and then you have an extra one of these. We consider that to be benign or not, not serious, and we're loath to treat. Now, my, my neighbor, she is uh, upset because these heartbeats are keeping her up at night. So I'm going to have to sit down with her and have a long talk and explain uh, what the risk and benefit ratio is of, of being on a medication to suppress these extra heartbeats, if that'll even help. Now, there are times when we do have to treat because these beats become malignant. They cause the rest of the ventricle to get overexcited. And then you have a run of ventricular beats. And if they're too fast, that won't sustain life because you won't have uh, adequate uh, uh, squeeze that the heart will, will not be able to do, relax and expand in a normal manner. So we call these uh, ventricular premature beats. And, and we have to be very careful about whether or not we treat these. And we have to take a close look at what is causing this and can we treat the underlying uh, disease process so for instance if you have a, a heart attack 
uh, in this day and age, uh, you get to the hospital within 20, 30 minutes, and we get you into the cath lab, and we can open it up. We can stick a balloon down that artery and blow that balloon up and put a stent in there. You know what a stent is, don't you, Ken? I've got one in my heart, as a matter of fact. Dang, dude. So you're you're an expert. So <laughs> yes, how does I it am. feel now? I got the AFib, you know. So. Oh, you got the AFib, too? Oh, my God. You got everything. Are you my patient? <laughs> I am, yes. <laughs> Oh, good. I've got something to treat. Hey, I'm slow next week. You want to come in? Uh, I might do that. Sure. Why not? I'll just say hi. <laughs> so uh, what else can cause these extra heartbeats other than tissue death or, or lack of blood flow to the tissue? By the way, we get these opened up, and, and uh, 90% of the time now there's no damage to the heart if we get to you early enough. So then you don't have to worry about these extra beats. Well, valvular problems can cause it, floppy valves, uh, inflammation of the heart, whether it's from lack of blood flow or from uh, stretch from a valve not working properly and the blood filling up, uh, overfilling the heart, from thickening of the heart from high blood pressure or inherited diseases, from infiltration of the muscle tissue in the heart from, uh, say, cancers or from uh, protein overloads of different kinds that come with certain autoimmune diseases. So stretching the heart, thickening the heart, damaging the heart, bruising the heart, or if the heart's beating too slowly, the, if the pacemaker at the top's not working properly, then the bottom will try to take over, and then you get these extra beats. And then also we know that uh, high catecholamine states, you know, adrenaline, things like that can get the heart irritated. We also know that there, there can be electrolyte problems, like if your potassium or your magnesium are too low, your heart will be more irritable. And we know that certain medications can uh, cause extra heartbeats. Uh, aminophilin, which is an old-time drug for asthma, uh, certain antidepressants, uh, pseudoephedrine, you know, the things that we use when we used to put that in the cold medicine, but we don't use that much anymore. Uh, even digoxin, which we use to control fast heart rates, can cause problems. And, of course, illicit drugs like cocaine and amphetamines, too much caffeine, alcohol, all these things can add to the irritability of the heart and predispose us to extra heartbeats, which could be benign or could be malignant. That is, they could be good or they could be life-threatening. So the treatment is uh, medication and if medication is going to be a problem, uh, then we turn to the electrophysiologists, which are the subspecialists in cardiology, and they can go in and they can probe around with their little electric catheters and try to find out if there's a spot in the heart where the extra heartbeat is coming from, and they can zap that and burn that area out. Uh, that is one way to do it. Another way is to put a pacemaker in if, if it's because the heart rate has gotten too slow, and we're having escape beats from the bottom of the heart because the top of the heart's not doing its job anymore. So then we can put a pacemaker in and speed up everything and get everything back in synchrony. And a lot of times that will, that will uh, work. Now, what's the prognosis here? Well, it depends on what kind of a heart rhythm disturbance it is. If you're like Barb, my next door neighbor, and you just have this heartbeat that's coming from one spot in the heart and it's a single beat, single bottom heart beat and not a paired or three in a row, then it's a pretty benign situation. It's just a nuisance because people are worried about it and it wakes them up in the middle of the night. 
And if we're concerned, we can always put what we call a Holter monitor or an event monitor on you, and you go home with that, and we can record your heartbeats over a period of time, 24, 48, 72 hours, two weeks of looking at your heart and see what's going on. Now, if it's a malignant rhythm, uh, we have things that we can do, including put in what we call a defibrillator. You know what that is, Ken? A defibrillator. That was um, well. That's the thing they that's used what, to shock your heart back in. in the yeah. Time. Yes. Yeah. Now we can. Now we can put one under your skin and thread a wire down into your heart, and uh, the uh, the device will sense if there's a malignant or life threatening rhythm, and it'll fire. So wow. we can shock you while you're walking around. Things we can do today. That's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, uh, the wife tried to put one of those on me the other day and <laughs> just kind of randomly <laughs> zapped me. But just I, giving you shocks. Huh? Yeah, just just that, you know, All you're right. not doing that right. Oh, well, did I tell you I put up the green screen? I, I made a, uh, uh, a roll-up green screen for my studio. And so she's helping me get it up last night. And, of course, you know, she offers to help, but that means she wants to take over and run everything. I'm doing it wrong. This is going to fall down. Look how dirty the counters, the shelves are up here. And, oh, my God. And, uh, of course, it ended up in a in a huff. <laughs> but I guess that's marriage. But she didn't kick me, so that was one well, good thing. Nice. She didn't uh, shock she, you or anything like that either. No, she didn't okay. shock me. She she and she broke one of my one of my studio lights, mm. and uh, hmm, so then the vacuum was out, and she's huffing and puffing around. This morning, she's just happy as a clam. <laughs> Happy wife, happy life, Doc. Yeah, go figure. I told her thank you. I appreciate your help. And, you know, in the middle of it, while I'm, when I'm hanging off the ladder trying to get everything up, and she's telling me how to do it and what I'm doing wrong, I'm like, oh, my God, woman. <laughs> I'm going to fall off this ladder and kill myself. <clears throat> oh, well, what do you do? You say yes, dear, and just keep going. You say yes, dear. Yeah. So that's the story on ventricular extra beats. Now, the atrial fibrillation, as you know, Ken, is not life-threatening, but it can become a problem. So we do try to control the rate of the heartbeat because if the ventricle goes too fast, then it can get irritated. And, it's annoying. And have it, can all be, kinds it can be of, annoying, yeah. Yeah, it can be real annoying. So we have medications. If we can't convert you back to a normal rhythm, we have medications to slow down the heart rate between the top and the bottom so you don't get into big trouble with that. And uh and they work but like that, a charm, just, I can tell you. Yeah, that's the story on the uh, on the uh, on the on the heartbeat there, and uh, and that's what I wanted to touch on real quick for Barb's sake, and for anybody out there who's having extra heartbeats. And if you're having it, you need to go see somebody and get it checked out. It could be something serious, especially if you're passing out when you have these things. You know that that's life threatening. That's dangerous. So. We have to be careful there. Well, anytime you pass out, you should go see a doctor. Isn't that true? I've always heard that. If you can get up and, yeah, if you can get back up and walk <laughs> yeah, to your car. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> if you can still get back up, you might want to go yeah, see a doctor. I mean, yeah. if you can't get back up, it may not be worthwhile. It may be all over. But if you can get up. If you feel yourself floating can... above the scene, it may be too late. Yeah, can't, you know what you need is one of those little uh, uh, first alert things you wear on your neck or what I do is I just put my cell phone in my pocket, and then if I go down somewhere, I can call the wife and, hey, help, <laughs> come pick me up. Or you can call 911, and they'll come get you. I think I go with 911 uh, first. My, my wife's <laughs> notorious for not picking up. So, 
I love it. She'll get, she'll get back yeah. to you. It's just not, well, not when you call, you know. Yeah. No, my wife, too. I mean, getting her to carry her cell phone around, especially she's got me on a special ringtone with these smartphones. So if she's mad at me, she won't answer, even if it's business. You know, she just is not going to answer because <laughs> I was mean to her. <laughs> but, but now you know this, Ken. If you don't answer her, oh, oh that's a meltdown. Completely different set of rules. That's right. <laughs> that's a mortal sin. <laughs> that's right. My daughters will call me and, tell, and say, would you go tell mom to pick up her phone? I'm trying to get a hold of her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But now if it's uh, somebody else, one of her girlfriends, she'll pick it right up. Yeah. Know? Oh, well, that's why we love them. That's why we love them. You know, they are what they are. That's right. They are, they are creatures of emotions. and uh, But they're so warm and, and cuddly, too. At any rate, <laughs> now, here's the problem I'm running into. And I, I had this problem with one of the doctors yesterday. Uh, we were talking about the vaccine, and he was saying, oh, that's ridiculous. Of course, he's a Democrat. That hasn't gone through phase three trials, and phase three trials are complex, and you have to have placebo-controlled, double-blinded uh, crossover. And as I've explained before, placebo control means one arm, one branch, one group gets the actual drug, and the other group gets the, uh, the sugar water. And uh, so this is ridiculous. Uh, when you're dealing with something like this, uh, because it's like saying, uh, because we know the vaccine works. First of all, he didn't understand what a phase three trial was. He thought it had to be a placebo controlled, double blinded study with crossovers. And that's not what a phase three trial is. A phase three trial is when you go from a phase two, which is a limited number of people, you know, like up to a thousand, maybe 1500. And you show that your, your drug or your your therapy is effective and you do it over a short period of time. So uh, like AstraZeneca and uh, Moderna and all these companies, they have already been testing the, uh, the uh, coronavirus influenza type uh, serum for injection, you know, the immunization. And so can this works? We know it works because they've shown that it produces good antibody levels and there's a T cell memory. What are we what looking for mean? in phase three then? Phase three is when you get more people involved over a longer period of time to see if there are any long-term problems. Ah, I see. So you, you want to know, let's say you test 1,000 people in, this, in your first study, and uh, 995 of them produce a good antibody response and a good T-cell memory. Well, the antibody response means that you've stimulated their immune system, and the T-cell memory means that once the levels of the antibodies drop off, as they do over time, if there's no stimulus, that if you re-stimulate them with the coronavirus, that they'll make the antibody because the T-cells, so certain white blood cells I've talked about over and over, have the memory. They're the, they're the brains of the, uh, of the immune system, and they remember that and they start cranking up and making more daughter cells and making more antibodies. So then we say, well, look, this works, you know, and what are we going to do now? Well, we want to know, are there any long-term side effects? Are we going to have problems from this uh, six months, 12 months, 24, 36 months down the road? And typically a phase three trial will run two to three years. <clears throat> well, we don't have time for that, obviously. That's why we're on this warp speed uh program that the president has set up 
And that's why the Russians and now the Chinese are using the vaccines that have been developed without a phase three trial in their countries. The Chinese are going to use it for their healthcare workers, their frontline people, and that would be people like me, which I would be happy to get if I were over there. So the phase three trial, it, it doesn't have to be, it can be a double-blinded placebo-controlled trial, but it doesn't have to be. It, 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 a phase three trial is when you have a larger patient population over a longer period of time to see what the long-term effects are and to see if your 99% immunity that you got with the vaccine uh, is going to hold up in a larger population of people. And you can get uh, all kinds of people. So let's say the first group we did uh, the, the study on with the uh, coronavirus uh, immunization were healthy young people between 20 and 40. Now you can include old guys like you and me or young kids under under 18. So you can expand your, your patient population group. And we do this by going to our statisticians and saying, we need to know what number of people we have to include in order to make this uh, an effective and uh, uh, valid study. And so the statisticians will sit down and they'll do their math and they'll come back and tell you how many people you need. You need 3,000 uh, people for this and you need these age groups and they give you the breakdown. And, you know, you need uh, gender equal and you need racial equality and all that. So you have to test, as let's say, 15% of the population is African-American. So then you want to have at least 15% of the population in your study being African-Americans. And, of course, 50-50 women and men, as close as you can get. <clears throat> and they know how to figure these things out because they've been doing this for centuries. And they've looked at pandemics before. They've looked at how uh, antivirus uh, immunizations have worked in, in, in other populations with other viruses like influenza and like uh, the herpes virus and and the papillomavirus. We know we've got a lot of experience in giving immunizations for viral diseases, measles, uh, mumps, rubella. And so we know what to expect from, from this. We know how antiviral vaccines work and what the response rate should be. And so the statisticians have all this information. They know the population of the United States, and they can give us an estimate of how many people we need in the study to make it valid. And that, so that's how we structure it. Well, now the people on the left are saying, well, you know, the, the uh, vaccine hasn't been tested in a phase three trial. Okay, let's say that the phase three trial is like parachute versus no parachute. I mean, we know it works. Now we just want to know what the long-term effects are. Well, if there's a group of us who don't care about that and we want the vaccine because we feel that we're at higher risk from dying from the vaccine than we are from complications later on, like Guillain-Barre or uh, uh, marital autism, as I've pointed out before, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about getting that myself. <laughs> Look at me. How do you feel? Uh, beer. <laughs> Football. <laughs> so who cares? I mean, you're going to have a small percentage of the population that are going to get some serious side effect from this. So what do you do? You don't, you don't immunize the population against a life-threatening disease. That's craziness. So the left is saying now, well, this hasn't gone through a phase three trial, so this is just ridiculous. It's not safe. All right, let's say 
we compare it to a parachute or no parachute. Um, I'm going to take the parachute the, every time. Yeah, we know the parachute yeah. works. So what are you going to do? Kick the guy <laughs> out of the airplane to see, hey, this half jump with no parachute and this with parachutes, and let's see what happens. <laughs> I can tell you ahead of time. Clinical trials can be observational. They can be interventional. They can be placebo-controlled. They can be... Uh, they can be uh, structured in a number of ways, and and we can't go on the craziness of the left when it comes to this sort of thing. We have to use our common sense, our rationality, and I, I think that the the uh, the medical community, the uh, researchers, the epidemiologists, and practitioners like me, who've had a lot of experience in this area. Uh, understand that the left is just throwing out anything and everything it can to make this worse because they want people to die. They want the pandemic to continue so that they can harp on that and get elected. They don't care about you and me. They care about gaining power. And we've talked about that. And we've talked about it over and over that Marxism, uh, the problem, the basic problem with Marxism is that the end justifies the means. And so if you die or I die, but the Marxist regime gets in, well, that's okay. We're going to lose some soldiers along the way. Hey, I'm not one of your soldiers. I didn't <laughs> sign up for this. So production, about it. production then can ramp up after stage two, apparently. Because I always thought they had to wait till like after stage three before they could start ramping up production, the virus vaccine. Uh, no, no. What, what, what the FDA says is that we want, before we'll approve it, we want a phase three trial. We want to see that. And then a phase four trial is after you've started uh, giving it to the public to see what, what effect there is on, you know, 100 million people. But what the FDA can do is say there's a compassionate reason to uh, start using this right away. And we have compassionate use for certain drugs that haven't gone through a phase three trial yet, but we know that they work like in certain cancers. And we also know that if we have a crisis like we have now where you can have uh, millions of people killed by this virus if we let it run rampant through society, that we can, uh, the FDA can and the federal government can bypass the phase three and say, let's use it. Now, they may say, let's use it in a limited population because we don't know the full, uh, you know, the full negativity of it. We know what the assets are, but we don't know all the liabilities. And so they say, okay, you can use it in healthcare workers, you can use it in vulnerable patients like people over 65, uh, people with bad lungs, bad hearts, diabetes, whatever. So that's probably what we're going to do. The first 100 million doses will go to senior citizens and those who are at high risk for contracting and uh, uh, getting sick and dying with this virus. So that's how that works. Ken, you can override the the customary rules of the FDA if there's a pressing need to do that, if there's a compassionate use, or if there is a major health crisis like we have now, every 100-year crisis. And so this is something that uh, we just have to do. We, we don't have a choice. We're, we're not going to wait for phase three trials. And of course, the Russians and the Chinese can dictate this to their people since they're dictatorships. And, uh, you know, they don't necessarily have the checks and balances that we have where we have to go through and discuss it with the FDA and the president has to uh, invoke certain uh, uh, legal uh, 
laws, certain laws to take over and do these sorts of things. So they can go ahead and do it right away, but we're going to do it. Don't worry. Well, I we're hope so. I'm, I'm ready out. to roll up my sleeve right now and get a shot. If that's what it takes. you get, you and me both, brother. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you. Well, listen. I'm going to I'm going to grab a cup of Joe. You go and 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 do whatever you do during break time. I don't want to know. And uh, <laughs> I'll be right back. I'm Doctor Bill, your radio MD. With SRN News, I am Michael Harrington in Washington. The Israeli military says it has struck at terrorist targets in Gaza in response to continued launches of explosive-laden balloons out of the Hamas-run territory. There were no immediate reports of casualties on either side, but the violence comes at a time when Gaza is struggling with a worsening economic crisis and a new outbreak of the coronavirus. Hamas-linked groups have launched a wave of incendiary balloons into Israel in recent weeks. Rescue efforts have come to a conclusion at a two-story restaurant in a northern Chinese village that collapsed during an 80th birthday celebration for a resident, leaving 29 people dead and 28 others injured. Families in coastal Louisiana are sifting through their destroyed homes and taking stock of their options. After Hurricane Laura ripped through the area last week, President Trump visited yesterday. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care Clinic offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. Balance of Nature. Changing the world one life at a time. Every year I go in to see my doctor. She says, whatever I'm doing, it's working. 
just had my physical, and the doctor says, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. So My primary doctor, she couldn't get over how much better I was doing. She said she'd never seen anything like it. My doctor says, keep it up. Whatever you're doing, keep it up. The doctor said she noticed when she first saw me that I was really progressing better. So I think it might have something to do with the nutrition that I've been getting from you guys. Don't wait to see what getting over 10 servings of whole fruits and vegetables every day can do for you. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Start your journey to better health today by calling 1-800-2468-751 or by going to balanceofnature.com. Again, that's balanceofnature.com. And make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code RESULTS. Take AM860, The Answer, with you wherever you go with our mobile app, theanswertampa.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at radio.com. Mike Gallagher thinks we're being played. The media desperately wants to convince you that this is all about racial inequality, racial injustice. That's the game. And the truth of the matter is, we're all being played for suckers. The Mike Gallagher Show, weekdays at 9 on AM 860, The Answer. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. A thunderstorm this morning. Otherwise, intervals of clouds and sunshine today with a high 87. Tonight, partly cloudy with a thunderstorm in spots late and a low 80. Tomorrow, a morning thunderstorm. Otherwise, periods of clouds and sunshine with a high 89. And Tuesday, widely separated afternoon thunderstorms and a high 90. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Gregory Patrick for AM860, The Answer. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. If you're just joining us, we had a great talk about uh, heart rhythm disturbances and then about the new vaccines and the left's criticism of that. I don't know, Ken. These these people on the left, are, uh, there's something really wrong with them. That they want us to die so they can get into power. You think they really want us to die? Yeah, they you know? do. They want more deaths. They do. Well, you gotta, you gotta, you need a, you need an enemy for every election. I think you know what I mean. And they've chosen. Yeah, but you know, you can create, you can create that without, without seeing people die. I mean, well, that's true. Yeah, I mean, you can say, look, let's try the vaccine, and we'll fight you on something else. But you know, it's ridiculous. Uh, We've got remdesivir. We've got the hyperimmune serum. Uh, we've got the, uh, the the vaccine's going to be out soon, and and we've learned how to treat it, and we've got everything under pretty good control. And that doesn't mean we're not going to have another bounce when school opens back up. We probably will. But uh, you know what? We're doing such a great job, especially with wearing face masks and all that. Uh, you know, I am, I'm just super impressed with the way that we've handled this. I thought it was going to be a lot worse. Getting to the point where yeah. I feel naked if I don't have my mask on. I know. You know? I, I'm wearing them all over my body, too. <laughs> you really cats, got everything elbows, covered? Every, yeah. It got it all covered, man. <laughs> You never know. One of them little viruses might work its way in my skin. <clears throat> no, that won't do that. I'm just teasing. So at any rate, the other thing that's that's impressive that the Democrats just can't explain away is this boom in the economy. The stock market is going crazy. Uh, big companies are showing 
profits in the face of all of this negativity and all of this uh, shutdown. And, you know, it's still difficult on a lot of the little people, especially the food and beverage workers. Uh, I feel for them because their jobs haven't come back yet, especially in the in the mean blue states like New York and California. Oh, my God. But what drives the market? That's what I want to know. And so guess what? I took a look. And what's driving the market, Doc? And here we go. Okay, so first of all, when you look at the uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average, you're looking at a group of small group of, of big stocks, and the top four or five are now driving the majority of the index. And those are stocks like Microsoft and Apple, Google, Amazon, Facebook. And uh, it's amazing how much of the market these people, you know, how much of the total market cap these people have. Now, you can get a spider fund, an S&P 500 spider fund, and it'll be a weighted fund. So what it'll do is it'll take the top 500 stocks traded in the United States, and it'll buy a proportionate amount of each stock. So let's say Microsoft is 1% of the market of the, of the S&P 500. It'll buy 1% of that. And Dr. Bill's toenail gel is one one hundredth. It'll buy one one hundredth. So you can see that quickly the bigger companies are going to uh, become the majority, the balance of the market or the over overly balancing the market on on the side of the large five or six, ten companies, which is what's happened. And of course, these companies have done well in the uh, in the pandemic because uh, Apple, communications, uh, Google communications, Amazon, uh, uh, you, you have a company that ships you, that you shop online and it ships it to you, uh, Facebook communications, Microsoft uh, software to drive all these communications and and, uh, and entertainment. And, and, and this is what has been driving the market in part. Well, what's the next part of this? <clears throat> well, the next part of this is the... Uh, balance sheet of the Federal Reserve. And you say, I didn't know the Federal Reserve had a balance sheet. I didn't know they had to balance their budget. <laughs> oh, you bet your blue booties they do. You're if joking, they don't right? Their, You're just joking. Yeah, you know, I mean, if, if, you don't, if you don't balance your budget, you ain't going to stay in business. <laughs> and so what has happened with the, with the Fed? Well, the, 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 federal, gov- the federal government, uh, our Congress, has given given us the Federal Reserve Board, and the Federal Reserve Board has been given certain powers from Congress to expand and contract the supply of money. Well, how do they get money? How do they get money? How do they do this? Do they just print it and hand it out to banks? No, that's not how they do it. They get authorization from their review board to increase the amount of money in circulation, and they do this by selling treasury notes. So they have a commodity that is of value to uh, big entities and to people around the world and to uh, governments around the world and to uh, uh, big stock and bond funds and so on and so forth. And they say, okay, look, if you'll give me $1,000 for two years, and in two years I'll give you back $1,000 plus 2% interest uh, uh, compounded over two years. And so the, the customer says, okay, I'll buy that. Here's my money. Just like you'd go in and buy TV and you, you hand the guy a thousand bucks for your 72 inch big screen TV. They hand the federal, the reserve, the treasury department, whoever, uh, they hand this money over to them. That money goes into a fund, which is then used to, uh, 
sell money to banks. And how do you sell money to banks? Well, you do what's called overnight loans or short-term loans to banks. So the Federal Reserve lends money to the banks. And the banks say, well, you know, uh, Chase Bank says, we need we need $100 million tonight uh, to uh, meet some obligations. We're lending money out. And so the Federal Reserve promised the people who bought the T-bills, say 2%, and the bank says, well, okay, we'll pay you 3% because that's what the Federal Reserve is asking. So then the Federal Reserve makes 1% on the deal. And that's how they make money to stay in business. The bank pays back that money with interest and they pay it back. They make sure that the money that's lent out on a two-year T-bill will come back to them before that two years is up. So they lend it short term, uh, you know, overnight funds, uh, 30 day, 60 day, 90 day, uh, so on and so forth. But they get that money back in plus some interest so that they can then pay off the people that bought T-bills and gave, that is gave them money, lent them money. And so then they can pay back that thousand dollar T-bill with 2% interest and the, the Fed has 1% for operating expenses and overhead. And who determines this? Well, the, the, the federal government does, the Federal Reserve Board does this. And they do this, Ken, by sitting down and looking at what the needs of the country will be. Now, you, as you recall, because I know you were alive back then in, in 29 when the market crashed, <laughs> and, <laughs> as was I, and uh, the, the government, the, uh, the, the intelligentsia, the economists, they didn't have the same understanding of the economy that we have. Uh, they didn't know exactly what to do. Uh, they thought that the best thing to do was to tighten up money. If there was a, a crash going on, uh, the banks did not want to lend out money. The Federal Reserve didn't want to lend out money, and it didn't have as much power as it has today. Plus, they didn't have computer models, so they didn't know. You know, They did what they thought was right, and uh, there are people who argue that they did what was right and that it wouldn't have mattered if they had floated out money or not. But I disagree with that. In my lifetime, I've seen what tightening and loosening the money does to the economy. Uh, and people say, well, it's going to fuel inflation. Well, I'd rather have a little inflation than not eat. Um, there seems to be something about eating and having a roof over my head. That it's, com- is more it's just comforting, Doc. It's comforting, you know, especially when there's a thunderstorm yeah. out there. And it rains on my ham sandwich (laughs) that I got out of the garbage behind the uh, deli there. Uh, At any rate, so we now know that money is like blood in an organism and that if you drop that blood level too low, the organism's not going to do well. So we have to infuse more money in. And it's not like we're just printing money nilly-willy. We have uh, uh, money that's backed by uh, purchases from investors and sales to banks. So, so it's a it's a commodity. You know, it's like wheat. It's like uh, automobiles. It's like anything. It's bought and sold. Money is bought and sold. And one of our greatest assets as a nation, one of our greatest commodities, is our dollar. Our dollar is still the strongest currency in the world, and that's where people run, especially in a crisis like we have now. They run to the U.S. dollar. And they want to purchase U.S. dollars uh, or they want to uh, purchase uh, a future commitment for U.S. dollars because they know that we have been very reliable in meeting our obligations and paying off our debts. Uh, 
So that's another thing that's fueling the market. All of a sudden, you've got all this money out there. And you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, look at the housing market. Have you noticed, Ken, how this has just fueled a tremendous boom in the housing market? It's crazy uh, out there in housing right now. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, you know, there, there, there's 10% of the workforce that's still out of work. But uh, my guys in the construction industry, they can't keep up. I called Pete, my backhoe guy, and uh, he and I had put in the, the water line, at, uh, the new water line at the office, and one of the valves I thought was on backwards, and he said, I didn't do that. And I said, what are you talking about, Pete? At any rate, I took a picture and sent it to him. He said, ah, Doc, just take the handle off and turn it around, because the handle, when I tried to shut the valve and open the valve, it was hitting the wall of the building. <laughs> so I unscrewed it and flipped it upside down. Worked fine. Okay, so I said, Pete, can you help me? He says, Doc, I am so busy. I have never been this busy. In the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of this supposed Great Depression that's been created by Trump's mishandling of, of the coronavirus, uh, give me a break. Things are booming. Not all sectors have come up yet. Okay, so how does the Fed increasing the money flow influence that? People are taking out second mortgages on their homes or buying new homes, and they're putting in swimming pools. And so Pete, with his backhoe, he goes and digs the hole for the swimming pools. And he is overwhelmed. He can't keep up. Well, interest rates are unbelievably low. I mean, if- That's the next thing is low interest rates. So there's, there's a trifecta here. There's a trifecta of uh, a lot of money, low interest rates, and uh, an expanding economy with uh, some big cap stocks that are bolstering the S&P 500 and the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So when you have low interest rates, then it makes uh, homes more affordable. Well, how do you figure out how much you can afford? Well, there's a rule called the 28-35% rule. 28% of your income, uh, no more than 28%, Ken, should go to your mortgage payment each month. And no more than 35% of your income should go to paying off all of your debts, including mortgage, credit cards, automobile payments, and so on and so forth. So how do we calculate this? Well, we go to uh, a, little, a little program that you can get online, and you can uh, plug in the numbers yourself. So it'll say, well, how much do you make a month? And so let's say you make... I don't know, 6000 a month, 72000 a year. Okay, and then what is your current debt? What do you owe each month? Well, you've got $500 in credit card payments that you have to make each month, and then you've got a $250 automobile car payment, and so you've got $750. So then you have to throw that into the equation. What's the interest rate? You have to throw that into the equation. So it's, what, 25 3% now for a new home? I don't know for sure, but something let's like just that, say probably. Three, yeah. something. It's pretty low now, three percent. I think ours is our ours is going to be a little bit higher, but we're a little higher risk, uh, so we paid four percent or somewhere in that range. So then you throw that in the equation, and then you uh, you throw in how much you can put down on the house. And generally, the rule of thumb for a, a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac uh, insured loan, home loan, is that you have to put down at least twenty percent. So then you put down. So then you put in, I can put in, say, 50000 
And then that churns and churns and it comes up with a number. And let's just say it's $1,500 a month that you can afford. And so then it looks at, the program looks at how much of a loan you can get, you can buy by making $1,500 a month payments. And so then it says, well, and I'm not saying this is accurate. I'm just giving you an example. Let's say it's a $250,000 home. So you can go buy a $250,000 home based on your 28, 35% ratio and all the information that you've plugged into the program. And this is exactly what the bankers do. That's what they do. And this is what the feds do too. When they make loans to banks, they say, <clears throat> what's your balance sheet? What do you got? How much do you have in reserves? And uh, if they don't meet the reserve criteria that the federal reserve bank has set up for a commercial bank, then they're not going to get the loan. And they say, you have to get your reserves up. So then the bank has to uh, call in some loans and get some money in their coffers. And it says, okay, how much can you pay back? What's your, uh, what's your income and what's your, what's your expenses per month? And so then the bank says, well, we're paying off this and this and this, and we owe this on these properties and buildings. And so our total, uh, our total, Payments for debt is well under 35%. It's only 30%. And the Fed says, okay, you got enough money in reserve and you've paid your insurance because you have to pay insurance if you're a bank and you're going to borrow from the Fed. You have to contribute to the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which is a way of ensuring that mortgages uh, that are defaulted on will, will not go completely unpaid, that the banks will get something back from it. And there may be some other insurance policies that are now required, uh, like from reinsurers, which are mega insurers. If there's a catastrophic disaster like a pandemic or, you know, an asteroid hits, uh, hits New York State. Not that I wish that on New York State, but if it happens, uh, you know. It happens. I'll, that's right. It happens. Things happen. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> That'd be an act of God. Know, That'd be an act an of God. An act of there. God. Yeah. And <clears throat> So you can see how this will um, cascade down that the way that you have to keep your budget and the way that you have to keep your balance sheet and the way that you have to allocate your money uh, has a direct impact on what the banks will lend you. And what the banks have to do is the same thing, which will impact on what the Federal Reserve will lend you, and the Federal Reserve has to do the same thing because it's got an oversight committee and it's got Congress on its back, and it has to uh, do the same thing. It has to show at the end of the year that it balanced its budget, that it's not overdrawn or underdrawn, and that it's able to meet all of its responsibilities and debts, that it's able to pay its employees, that it's able to uh, fund its various programs, uh, that it's able to continue its research, and uh, that it's able to make the loans that it needs to make to get money out into circulation. That's how our economy works. And it's, it's seemingly complex, but if you think about your own household, it's really not all that complex. You know, you have to look at your expenses when you're deciding how much you can afford for a new car or a new home. You have to look at your current debts. You have to look at how much your your uh, uh, utilities cost you a month. You have to look at how much uh, the kid's school costs a month. You have to look at how much uh, your gas is to ride to work and the depreciation of your car and all the things that you have to go through uh, to make sure that you can 
pay your way. Otherwise, you end up bankrupt. Same way with banks. Same way with the Fed. If they bankrupt, uh, that's not a good thing. Then when we go out into the market to uh, sell our money to people around the world and to fund managers, they're not going to want to buy it. And that's the problem that countries like Venezuela are having because they're not they're not uh, meeting their debts. They're not able to pay their debts. And so the money they want to borrow isn't there for them. And, uh, you know, China has uh, not paid its debts from previous uh, regimes. And when the communists took over, like I talked about before, they said, well, we don't you know, we're a new government, and a new regime, and we don't recognize the, the prior debts that are our our. Uh, democratic government or our uh, imperial government had, and so we're not going to pay them. So now there's, uh, you know, several hundred billion dollars in, in, in Chinese treasury notes that are being held by Americans and probably billions around a trillion around the world that the communists won't pay on. So then if the communist regime in, in Beijing gets into trouble and they want to borrow money from other countries, there are going to be some some strict limitations on how much, what the interest rates will be. There'll be some some very strict parameters on on uh, what they will be allowed to borrow from the World Bank, depending upon whether or not the World Bank will even make them a loan. So it, it's complex, Ken. It's 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 a big deal, and uh, <clears throat> people think that oh, the money's just falling from trees. <laughs> no, it's not. It is not. It's it's you and me putting ourselves to work and repaying the debt to our banks, our banks repaying their debts to the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve repaying its debts to its lenders, which are people who bought the T-bills, and it goes on up the line. And, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, please pay me so I can pay him so they can pay, so he can pay them so they can pay you, the money goes in a big circle. And uh, that's the lifeblood of, of any economy, is the cash flowing through it. And so in the 1920s and, and 1930s, we didn't understand that. And uh, the Fed choked off the money supply, and the banks choked off the money supply, and things just uh, spiraled downward. And, and then we had 25% unemployment. And when we got to 15 to 20% unemployment here, we had already opened the tap. Uh, to try and stimulate the economy, and now we're back under 10% unemployment, and the economy is booming, and the stock market is uh, uh, hitting records every week. New records are, are being seen in the NASDAQ and, uh, and, and the Amex, and now also in the, uh, in the uh, Dow Jones. So we're going to see a, a lot of activity here and a lot of good positive activity, and we need to open up the, the economy we need to reopen our restaurants. Uh, you can have spacing and social distancing. You can have masks and all of that, but you got to let people get back to work, Ken. you got to do it. And the Democrats don't want to do that because then the economy will look better and better. And if the economy looks better and better, then Trump looks better and better, and they're not going to win. They don't care what happens to you and me. They don't care. But... What are you going to do? That's life. So at any rate, that's my spiel for today. What do you think? I think I'm exhausted just listening to you, Doc. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, very educational. Very educational. I would say, 
I would say something about your ears, but that wouldn't be appropriate on air. (laughs) (laughs) So what do we got? 30 seconds left? Well, I want to thank everybody for being with me. And if you saw me on Facebook, I appreciate you watching. And I just have a great time. This is such a fun hour for me, Ken. I just love this. Next week, we'll talk talk about some more. And uh, love you guys. I'm going to get out of here. We'll play a little music. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. 